Good evening. I want to make a couple of announcements. First of all, I want to let you know that James Reed has been moved to ICU at Abilene Regional, um, not doing well, uh, so keep him in your prayers. I talked to his son, Tony, uh, after church this morning, and apparently he is unresponsive and uh, not, not looking good. So keep James Reed in your prayers. Um, James, 98, been an integral part of what we do here at Oldham Lane a long time. Wonderful, wonderful man. Please keep him and, your fam and his family in your prayers. I also want to remind you, if you haven't already, before we get to the first of the year, order the book, the one-word devotional book. Uh, it takes one word each week and has five devotionals on that word, and we're actually going to be studying the word of the week every week on Sunday mornings here at Oldham Lane. This is something that was compiled by the folks uh, at Mount Juliet Church of Christ in Tennessee. David Shannon, uh, who was the preacher there, is now the president at Freed Hardman. But uh, it's a great study. A lot of churches have done it this year. We're going to do it next year. So every Sunday morning, even with some of our Bible classes, we're going to be looking at the different words. So what we do is we take one word. And uh, you know, if you look at the table of contents, it has a different word for every, for every week. Uh, they're all grouped together, and so we'll take that one word every Sunday morning, and we will dissect it and preach on it and make application. And uh, if you'd like to follow along in the devotional book, they're three bucks. You can go to onewordstudy.com. I think we've been advertising it on the screen, and you can pick up your own copy. There's also a study guide that goes along with it. I think they're about out of print, but if you're able to, to get that, that'd probably be helpful as well. We are in a series that we started last week on Sunday night entitled Elephants in the Church. You know, that refers to the elephant in the room or the elephant in the church. That refers to a topic or an issue that nobody really wants to deal with. Everyone knows it's an issue. Everyone knows it's a, a problem even, perhaps, but no one wants to approach it. Because by approaching it, it makes us uncomfortable, or maybe it opens up a can of worms. And uh, one thing that you'll probably notice about elephants in the church or in the room is that they're going to make somebody angry probably. That's why it's difficult to preach a series of lessons on this because there's probably going to be someone that doesn't agree with the take, right? That's why we avoid them because we say things like, are they really salvation issues anyway? Do we really need to approach these because it's only going to make somebody angry, right? But I, I've never been one to avoid things. And uh, the thing about elephants is they don't go away. They stay in the room until you deal with them. Sometimes they stay there until you're forced to deal with them. And tonight we're talking about one that some people might say, well, what's the big deal? Really, dancing is an issue in the church? Some of you uh, from an older generation know that it's long been an issue, that some folks have long believed in the church, you are not to dance, dancing is wrong, all of it, all of it's condemned, and you're not to engage in it. But you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. That's the only problem. The Bible does not teach that all dancing is wrong. And I think that if we're going to be honest and genuine and sincere when it comes to our approach to the Bible, we've got to consider every angle, and we definitely have to consider the biblical view, right? If you want to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 15, starting in verse 25, here's what we read. It says, So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark. 
and the singers, and the Chenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers, and David wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, trumpets, and cymbals, and made loud music on harps and lyres. And as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David dancing and celebrating, and she de despised him in her heart. Now you can flip over to the New Testament. You can look at Luke chapter 15 in the account of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son comes to his senses and decides to come home and rejoin the household, or at least ask for forgiveness so he can, Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 22, states, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these, these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So part of the celebration of the prodigal returning home evidently involved dancing. Scripture records instances in which the righteous danced as an expression of joy. The Psalms record David dancing in front of the Lord in praise, one might even say in worship. Ecclesiastes 3 and 4 states, There is an appointed time for everything. The wise Solomon goes on to write, And there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. So, I bring that up to say that to make the statement that all dancing is wrong is not supported in Scripture. And if we are to be people of the Bible, then we've got to come to grips with that, right? When it comes to what the Scriptures have to say, we have to account for all of it, right? But I think we all know that there is dancing that either is sin or leads to sin. And I think that we have to come to grips with that as well. We have to know that the Scriptures do not paint a broad brush stroke of all dancing is wrong and condemned, but I do believe the Scriptures speak to some dancing that can be wrong or is condemned. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time is already past, is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Now, think about that, and then you go over to Galatians 5, 19 through 21, you have the deeds of the flesh, 
Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now if you go back to the King James, the King James uses the word lasciviousness. You may have heard that word. It's an ancient word that they use in place of, first, uh, of sensuality in 1 Peter chapter 4. The word impurity in Galatians 5 can also be translated lasciviousness. The definition of which is this. It is the absence of restraint, indecency, indecent bodily movements, and unchaste handling of males and females. So, I think if we're honest, we have to say lascivious could be a fitting description of some dancing, right? I mean, I think based on the definition, based on what we read in Scripture, we could make that connection. So we have to say that when dancing promotes lasciviousness, it's wrong. Many of us have been to a football or basketball game where, as to add entertainment value, you have cheerleaders, you have others that are dancing. Jerry Buss, the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers, before he passed away, you know, when he first bought the Los Angeles Lakers, he was one of the first, if not the first, to implement girls, scantily dressed, dancing before the audience to fill that dead time and also to attract the eye of the men that were there to watch the game. Our beloved Dallas Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, understands this. The new stadium has go-go dancers. They have the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, you know. I mean, I, have, I think that we can say that some dancing would fall into the category of lascivious when there are suggestive movements, you know, things that obviously are sexual in nature. I don't think that's something that we want to be engaging in. But we've got to be careful not to paint with a broad brush. Like I said last week, like we say tonight, not all cheerleaders are bad. Not all drill teams are bad. Not all of them are lascivious. But I think that we have to say that there are situations in which dancing could be considered wrong and something that we want to stay away from. If my wife and I want to dance in the privacy of our home, that's perfectly fine. If I want to dance around and be silly with the kids, that's okay. It's okay to march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, and shoot the artillery. It's okay, right? So let's avoid the generalizations or the overgeneralizations. You know, when I was coaching, we had a prom, and as the senior class sponsor, I had to be at the prom and chaperone. And at this little school that I was at, prom was not what so many people have experienced or maybe uh, judge it to be. Uh, the kids at this small school, it was more of a social function. There was not any what we call unchaste contact, uh, contact or uh, uh, illicit movements or things of that nature. It was just a gathering. I mean, they had a good time. If they danced, it was being silly. The chicken dance or things like that. You know what I'm talking about, some of you guys. And uh, so sometimes people ask me, you know, what is your view of prom? Should we forbid our young kids from going to prom? Should we forbid teenagers from going to prom? And I think that we have to look at that on a case-by-case -case basis sometimes. I don't think all proms operate the same way, at least the one that I 
uh, went to as a high school student, and the one that I was a chaperone of was not that way. But I understand that there are some, perhaps, that are pretty, I guess, uh, lascivious in nature, maybe. Um, I don't know. I haven't had an experience with all of them. Um, Here's the thing. That's a decision that you as a parent have to make on your own. And it's one that I think requires a lot of study, a lot of examination. And if you land on the side of saying, you know what? I don't think there's anything good that goes on there. I don't think that there's any reason for you to go, and it's not going to uh, harm your, your livelihood in any way if you don't go. You're probably right about that. And if you hold that line of thinking, you're perfectly well within your right to do so. And as a parent, I honor that right. And you should have that right. And I know of parents who say, all dancing is wrong, and I don't want you going to any of the dances because there's nothing good that happens there, and that's, that's okay. You have the right to do that. That's okay. But also understand that maybe our kids need a why every now and then, too. Maybe they need to understand, okay, but why is it wrong? Why is it bad? And depending on what the dance is, where it's at, where it's taking place, you might could find a whole lot of things wrong. Because there is no doubt that dancing in some places is connected to a lot of other things that are not good. I mean, we could admit that too, depending on where it is and what the venue is. But I think sometimes it's good to give an answer instead of painting with a broad brush and saying, here's why we stand where we do. Here's why we believe the way that we do. But I also want us, as, as biblical people, if we're going to approach the scriptures honestly and openly, I want us to, to look at the subjects that we're discussing like this one tonight to be able to say, okay, the Bible doesn't overgeneralize. The Bible presents dancing in a positive light, but I think we can also make some connections where dancing would be in a negative light as well. And we need to steer clear of those situations and maybe the places where it takes place, right? Because sometimes it's the atmosphere and the environment where it occurs. But, you know, I, I've known people who have said, I, I'm not going to church. I'm never going to darken the doors of a church. And I say, why not? Well, because of so-and-so. He's a hypocrite. So you're going to write off the entire church because of one guy? Somebody buys a Ford. They've never owned a Ford. They buy one Ford pickup, and it's a lemon. Fords are terrible. I'll never own another Ford. That's overgeneralizing. That's making a statement based on one experience, right? And that's all I ask is that we think about these things, that we approach the, the, the topic biblically, logically, and reasonably. But ultimately, as a parent, you have to decide. And you have the right to decide. But if you want me to stand up here from the pulpit and condemn all dancing, I can't do that because the Bible doesn't. But... I know that there are some situations that I don't want my kids placed in. I'm not going to set up my child for failure. And I know that some environments where dancing is a part of that environment, that there are other things connected with it that I don't want my children to be a part of. And like we said last week, it all boils down to really this. What glorifies God? And whatever the topic is, we have to ask that question. What glorifies God? Like I said, the, these elephants in the room are difficult because on one side you have, you have this person who says, 
So why are we even talking about dancing? That's an issue? That's a problem? I never would have thought it was a problem. Then maybe on the opposite side, you have someone who thinks it's a salvation issue. And that's where it becomes difficult, right? It's trying to find some sort of logical middle, perhaps. I mean, listen, if it's a salvation issue, we got to call it what it is, right? But so oftentimes, we want to jump to the question of, will this send me to hell? When the better question is always, what glorifies God? And we cannot argue that there are some situations that we place ourselves in that does not glorify God. And as a Christian, we have to ask that question, what glorifies God? We don't paint with a broad brush. We don't overgeneralize. But we look at the situation and we say, will this glorify God? As a parent, if I allow my child to go, will this glorify God? And then we make a decision based on that. But you know, it's hard because we're always trying to live in two worlds, aren't we? Teenagers especially, always trying to live in two worlds. And sometimes the line gets a little blurry and sometimes we blur the line. And it becomes difficult. But I think if we always go back to that question, what glorifies God? And we think about my influence as a Christian. We think about what Jesus said, that you are a light of the world, you are salt of the earth. If our light's going to shine brightly, what's the best way to show our influence? And sometimes it may be that we, we choose not to participate in things that may dim our light. But again, I can't say this enough. When it comes to topics such as these, let's be careful. Let's approach it biblically and logically, and let's be careful not to make overgeneralizations always. And let's not be quick to condemn people when they don't think like we do. Y'all worked at a church many years ago where they had a prom alternative. And that wasn't a bad thing. I mean, there were some parents that didn't believe in their child going to prom, and so they had a prom alternative. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. When it got bad is because the kids that came to the prom alternative and some of the parents condemned the ones who didn't come to the prom alternative and it disrupted unity in the church. That's a problem, right? When we take on a condemning attitude, that can be the problem. Think about your influence. Think about what glorifies God. I know I've used this example before, but it's been a while, so maybe you've forgotten it. There was a time when... Uh, well, a lot of us used to get together on Thursdays and go eat lunch, a lot of guys from here. And uh, we went to Logan's one uh, Thursday, and we sit down to order, and Clay Peterson, one of our elders, orders unsweet tea with no ice. Now, you want to talk about something condemnable, that is. I mean, who can drink unsweet tea, first of all? I mean, you've got to drink sweet tea, right? And when I first moved here, I went to Bell's Chicken House, and I had all this fried chicken, all this fried food, and I said, I'll have sweet tea. And they said, we don't have sweet tea. We have sweetener on the table. And I'm like, so what? I mean, you can't sweeten tea after it's made, right? But anyway, that aside, that may be another elephant in the room that we need to talk about, ordering unsweet tea. Clay orders unsweet tea with no ice. Do you know what unsweet tea with no ice in a glass looks like? Looks a lot like beer. And so we're teasing Clay. Oh, an elder in the church, he's got beer. And, you know, we're... Clay asked the waitress when she came back around, just very kindly, very softly, do you mind bringing me a, a styrofoam cup? And she said, sure, you know. And he wasn't doing that because we were teasing him. He was doing that because 
He was thinking about his influence. And you could say, well, does that really, I mean, my goodness, does that really matter? I mean, come on. Is, is that that big of a deal? But it was to Clay. And I respected him even more that day because he was thinking about his influence. And he was thinking about the way that other people would see him. And that's all I ask that we think about as well as Christians. Can you dance? Can you go to dances? I believe so in certain situations, depending on the environment. But above all, when it becomes something that, that is difficult to discern, if it becomes something that is difficult to, to kind of uh, to meet out, then I think we have to look at what is my influence, what glorifies God, and rest there. So, in a couple of weeks, I'll be away from you next week. Jake will be taking over. Um, we're going to talk about sex, something the church doesn't talk a whole lot about. And I would tell our parents that I think it's going to be okay if your kids are in here. I do. I don't, I don't think it's going to go uh, in a direction that you would be uncomfortable with too much. I mean, I, it's always my job to make you uncomfortable, right? But I think, I think you'll be okay uh, with them being in here. But we are also going to have kind of what some uh, television shows do. They do an after the show where you have um, questions and answers. So after that sermon, those of you who want to, you can move up to the front. And I will sit here and answer any questions that you might have about this lesson, the one prior, prior to it, the drinking lesson, or the one on sex. And we'll do that periodically as we go along. Another idea that we have that we'll be doing with you is one of these lessons in this series will be on pornography. And Blake and I will be co-preaching that. And uh, we'll also have a question and answer period during that time as well. We want you to be able to ask questions. Folks, I realize that as the preacher, sometimes I am giving my unexpert opinion. I always want to rest where the Bible rests, but sometimes, you know, you're left with trying to just land somewhere, and you hope it's the best possible place, right? And the absence of a direct thou shalt not, I mean, sometimes it's difficult. And so I know that these elephants in the church and even the, the question and answer period afterwards invite or open myself up to some things, but that's okay. I think we need to talk about these things if you have questions or even criticisms. That's okay. We're, we're all friends here. So hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully it's helpful as we go along. And uh, if you have a need tonight that we can help you with, uh, we want to pray with you, study with you. Um, whatever we can do, Clyde's going to lead a song. Come up here as we stand and as we sing.